2: A young kid who grew up idolizing the Monkees reunites the band for a tour decades later.
0: It was so loud, the screaming, and to see fans running after you, with the girls, just like the old days of Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. These girls went crazy over these guys.
2: The band's record-breaking tour is a game changer for the young music manager.
0: It changed my whole life. To represent an act that sells in stadiums, arenas, here I was 30 years old and had that experience at such a young age. It was probably the biggest tour that i ever
1: worked around. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Impact.
2: Welcome to Sonic Impact.
1: This is the last time this season we're going to say those words, Olivia.
2: Well, that's a little sad.
1: It is. We spent two years putting together this podcast. We took a long time making sure that the stories were strong and the stories were well-crafted and all that information that you had to deliver. And so it really has been an incredible journey, very rewarding for us. And I have to just say a huge thank you to the audience who found us, who listened to us, liked us. Really appreciate you guys going on the ride with us.
2: Yeah. To every single one of you who has listened, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It really means a lot.
1: And one of the things that's impressed me and surprised me, Olivia, is you. I just need to take a moment to say, all the listeners out there who have written to me and said how great you are, how great your voice is, and how knowledgeable and poised you are for a 20-year-old, it makes me feel so proud of you. So I want to just give you the props. You weren't supposed to be part of this in the beginning, but I'm so glad that you joined me and that we have this bond
2: Thanks, Dad. I'm so glad too. It's been such a fun thing. I've learned so much about music and I've loved hearing these stories and obviously talking with you all the time has been an absolute joy.
1: Well, as any parent will tell you, having time with your children, especially at this time in your life, is really special. And I want to thank all of our guests. There have been so many incredible guests coming on to tell these stories, to share their time, and without them, there would be no podcast. So I just want to give a shout out to all 10 guests who made this podcast as great as we hoped it would be.
2: Elliot said it perfectly. Thank you all so much for taking the time to be part of our little project. And I hope you had as much fun as we've had.
1: So our plan was always to do 10 episodes and see how it went. But the response has been so overwhelmingly positive that I think we're gonna do some more. We'll keep you guys posted on when new episodes will come, but we hope when we have more stories, you guys will all come back. But let's not say goodbye quite yet. Let's talk about today's episode, Olivia, and that is The Monkeys.
2: The Monkeys. So I always thought that The Monkeys was a band, but I found out that The Monkees is actually a sitcom. From the 60s, all of the members of the band were basically hired as actors for this sitcom. And the series is about a group of four young men trying to make a name for themselves in a rock band. It kind of takes inspiration from Hard Day's Night and the Beatles. It was a few years after Beatlemania, so you can definitely put together some connections.
1: Yeah, the thing about the Monkees were they were actors and they were cast in this sitcom, but they also were musicians. Some of them were really talented. Mike Nesmith was really talented, Peter Tork. So, they actually did play instruments and they did sing. There were a lot of studio musicians on their albums. But the reality, Olivia, they were a band. They toured. They recorded great songs. They have classics like Last Train to Clarksville, I'm a Believer, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. There's some great songs in their catalog. But by the 80s, it had really sort of died down and no one was accessing the monkeys. And what happened was MTV was sort of starting to get really huge, and they bought the rights to the Monkees episodes, and here comes our guest, David Fischoff. David Fischoff has an incredibly interesting career. What he does now is he runs the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, which is this amazing rock and roll camp where people come get to play with professional musicians and perform. It's really fun. But David, at this time, was a sports agent who loved the Monkees as a little boy, lived his rock and roll fantasy dreams, and put the Monkees back together on a cross-country reunion tour. Little did he know that MTV had the same thought to get the monkeys back in the public eye. These two things are colliding in 1986. This is the monkey sonic impact on David Fischoff. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest?
0: Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall,
1: mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just 3 days. So
0: you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Does
1: Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act that sun's shining on a beach. And when
0: Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for
1: David Fishoff here to talk about his sonic impact. David, hello, welcome to the show. What a pleasure to be here, Elliot. My honor. Oh, thank you. So let's start with the beginning. Take me back to when you were a
0: kid and your first experience with the monkeys. Well, I was in fifth grade, on Monday, or Tuesday night, and I think the only program my parents let me watch were The Monkees. Why was the only show your parents let you watch was The Monkees? Growing up, my parents discouraged me from watching any television. I know my mother always called it the idiot box. You know, they never really encouraged us to watch any television.
1: So how old are you when you discover The monkeys? You can't watch any other TV,
0: but you can watch this show. You know, I was 10 years old, and I got to watch them on television. I would laugh. I found Davy Jones to be my favorite. I loved the songs. I loved how funny they were, how goofy they were. And it resonated with me. Once I got into it, I always wanted to watch the next one. Give me your recollections of watching The Monkees. Like, what do you remember about the show and the songs? You know, I love the silliness about them. I thought they were funny. And the music was just so catchy. You know, I'm a believer. And Last Train to Clarksville was one of my favorite songs. And it just put me in a happy mood. That's all I really remember as a child. All right. So let's fast forward. Tell us just briefly about your career. You were a sports agent. Who were some of your biggest clients? I represented Phil Simms, quarterback of the New York Giants. I had Luke Pinello, the New York Yankees, and then Vince Caragamo here in Los Angeles. I had about 35 ball players And You know, I was right there at the beginning when these players were just starting to hire agents. Okay, so you're a successful
1: sports agent, but now you make a transition into rock and roll. So that must have been
0: an interesting move for you, given that you weren't a big rock guy. Correct. I wasn't a big rock guy, but I was sharing office space in New York City with other music managers. So I had a room up there. across to me with Gary Kirfis, who represented the Talking Heads, the Ramones, I remember Joey Ramone walking by my office all the time, blondie, and Madonna. He had her manager stay up at the uh, office. And I was the lone sports guy. But I saw all these managers have gold records on the wall. And I saw these artists come in, they all looked so weird. And I just said to myself, you know what? I want to try being in the music business too. Because in the sports business, all you do is show me the money. You negotiate the best contract. But, you know, it was boring to me.
1: So. How do you make the transition to rock and roll, and who's your first signing? So in
0: 1983, I was representing Vince Ferragamo out here with the Rams. You know, they had gone to the Super Bowl, and Vince was very hot. And I was negotiating his contract, and I was in the L.A. Times every day, and I was fighting with the Rams, and I got a phone call from someone asking asked me, would I be interested in representing the association? I said, the association of what? And I came out to California, I saw the band, it reminded me of the songs, I heard the dentist's office, windy, cherished, never my love, along comes Mary. So, you know, as a lark, I said, I'll take you guys on. Well, I want to get the music business. Not realizing that I was with an oldies act. I wasn't with a hip act. But I took them on. And I convinced all these agents to book my band. And they started booking them. And all these other bands started seeing the success of the association. And so I got a call from Gary Puckett, the Union Gap, the Turtles the was and the papas, they couldn't believe that Jill TH was getting all this work. Who's this guy booking them? So I started picking up all these hands. And in 1983, 84, I created a concept called the Happy Together Tour, which today is still operating. And I went out and booked 125 shows. And Elliot, the movie, The Big Chill came out. And when The Big Chill came out, everybody wanted to hear nostalgia music. Correct me if I'm wrong, but were you one of the first to put together those music packages with these multi-artists? Totally. No one ever packaged people together. I, I was the first one, really, who, who did that in, in the 80s. And it really became a fun show. And I started booking 15 shows. And then, because of that movie, the, the Big Chill, came out, we started packing the you know, two 3,000 seaters and did it again in 1984, 84. I did it in 85 again. I put the birds on. 125 shows, the fairs, the festivals. It was just unbelievable. This package worked all the time. I want to now move to the moment in
1: your life with the monkeys. Tell us how you came about putting the monkeys back together and put them on the road after people had sort of forgotten them. So in comes David Fishoff. How does this happen?
0: So I'm doing these, all these shows, and I live in New York City, and someone said to me, what, what about trying to get the monkeys? And I said, wow! Now it came back to me, a 10-year-old David Came back. The monkeys. That would be so cool. I didn't even thought of that. Awesome. And they said, Peter Tork lives in New York City. Why don't you start off with him and invite him to one of your shows? Well, Peter Tork had a sign all over the west side of Manhattan. You want to learn to play guitar with Peter Tork? You rip off that little piece of paper. You have his telephone number, and he'll teach you how to play piano.
1: How much is Peter Tork charging for guitar lessons? He probably was getting
0: like $50. <laughs> I see his name on a piece of paper, and I rip it off. Hold a up. Amazing. I say, hey, Peter, my, my name is David Fischoff. I produced the Happy Together tour. And by the way, we're working in Manhattan next Monday night. And I said, why don't you come and be my guest? Because, you know, I'd love to do the monkeys. He shows up. I get him a backstage fast. He's sitting on the side of the stage, and I'm watching him during the whole time because I'm a fan. Peter Torks, the monkeys. I got all excited. And that, that's what got me excited as a kid. So he's watching and he's loving the show. And he says to me, I says, you know, we could do this too, the monkeys." I said, great. So uh, we got together the next day, had lunch. And he said to me, um, I'm only one of the four guys. And let's go and pitch it to them. So I said, great. I'll buy you a plane ticket. Let's go over to England. And he called Davey and he called Mickey. He says, I got a guy who does all these oldie shows and he wants to come meet us. So we went over to London, and we went to Mickey Dolan's house. And he lived four hours outside of London in a big mansion. And uh, he put us up there. It was really nice. We went to a pub. He really he wanted to dime me. It was really beautiful. And we got into talking about the concept of going out on the monkeys. You know, he was
1: interested. So Peter Tork is giving guitar lessons. Mickey and Davey are living in England. These guys are like, haven't probably connected in years. What did they think of you coming to them to propose this? Were they excited about it? It's like, how did they react to this?
0: Well, you know, Mickey was really cool. You know, he acted really cool because that's Mickey. Uh, Davey was so excited. And I'll never forget, he said, Man, I can't wait. I'm going to tour across America with you. Listen, I was legit because I had booked 120 shows with the Turtles for two years in a row. I happened to go the tour. So, They knew I was legit. But
1: uh, it sounds like it's something no one even really thought about. Like, they weren't thinking at all about getting the monkeys back together. They must have just been sort of shocked, but also, wow, okay, we're going to go play together again.
0: We're going to play together again, and no one ever used the name the monkeys. and they had gone out as Davy Jones and Mickey Dolan. They had a very, you know, interesting relationship, you know, which normal bands have. So the next thing was we left his house after three days, and we went down to visit Davey Jones for a few days. He lived in the southernmost tip of England. And they didn't talk. They didn't even talk to each other. So I meet with uh, Davy. and I meet with his wife. They both said, leave it with us, we'll get back to you. So let's set the scene. You're this little kid who discovers this band,
1: blows your mind, has a big impression on you. Cut to 20 years later, you're with these guys and you're gonna put them on tour. What's going through your mind? Is that a pinch me
0: moment? Well, the pinch me moment was when I went to their homes, and here I am in Mickey Dolan's house, and I'm 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 a fan. And then Davey, it was fun. We're getting down to meeting them the first time, no yeah. question about it. Did you tell them that the influence that they had had on you
1: as a child was that a part of you know the pitch? I probably did. You know, I probably shared that with them. I knew all the songs, which I can't tell you with a lot of other bands. Well, I had to think that your passion for them was real, and and that came through yes. in the pitch, right? Yes. We've sort of left out the fourth monkey, Mike Nesmith, you know, obviously passed away recently. What was Mike's role in this and why wasn't he involved?
0: So I never reached out to Mike Nesmith because everyone told me you're never going to get him. He's so rich. His mother invented liquid paper and he inherited millions of dollars and he's a big producer and he's never going to do it. He doesn't want anything to do with the monkeys. So I honestly never reached out to him. To tell you the truth, Elliot, I was a fan of the monkeys because it was my childhood. I loved Davey first. I love Mickey second. I love Peter third. You know, I my my three favorite monkeys were in that order. Amazing. Now um, I go back and I get a call from a media guy. He called me up. He says, Did you know that uh, MTV is going to be broadcasting the monkeys? And I said, No, not at all. I said, You know, I'd go up and down the elevator with Bob Pittman of MTV. And so I run upstairs to Bob Pittman's office and I said to him, my name is David. He said, I know you're the sports agent. I said, no, I know you don't mean the sports agent, but I'm doing a, an oldie tour of the Monkees. He's a fit out kid. And he said to me, I'll make a deal with you. You promote my fledging network, MTV and all your ads, and I'll promote you on television that you're doing a live tour. I said, great,
1: let's do it. So we're about to go on tour for the first time with the Monkees. Set the stage. What year is this?
0: What was that experience like? So it's 1986. I'm nervous here. I'm nervous here. I'm not going to sell tickets. You know, what's going to be the response of, of this tour? This is when MTV decided they were going to air the TV show. And I start going on sale. Now, I went on sale in places like 1,500 seats up in New Hampshire, 2,500 seats, Boston. So now I go on sale. And the first day, I don't know if some of the agents calls me for William Martin. He says, David, we have sold everything out. We sold 30,000 tickets in Detroit. They sold 29,000 in one day in Poplar Creek in Chicago. Oh my they God. Broke, yes. Yes. Oh you won't believe we broke every record. Can you imagine what's happening? I'm on sale and everything is going through the roof. We sold 40,000 at Foxborough. We played Texas Stadium. We just kept adding dates. It went crazy. The country went nuts because MTV announced the tour. Every little girl came running home at 11 o'clock in the morning and the mothers were yelling at them, where were you all night? Mommy, I was waiting online for monkey tickets and the mothers would say, but I want to go. Dad, how do you know the monkeys? Well, you know, the mothers would say, it's a 20-year-old band. It was bedlam. It was the craziest thing. Imagine selling 30,000, 40,000 seats in a market. So here in Los Angeles, we sold out three nights at the Greek Theater. I could have sold out 20 nights, but they had booked other bands. It was just amazing. You must have just felt
1: such pride as a fan of the band. Putting this together was your idea. They must have been blown away by the reaction of the fans. They were blown
0: away. It was over everyone's head. You know, they, they came up with a ticket price from the year before of what my shows would sell. Now they're going to tripled it. And then the craziest thing happened was I scheduled rehearsal up at the Concord Hotel in the Cascals. And, you know, people wouldn't disturb them up there. I had the stage up there. So I scheduled rehearsal up there. I do my first show on a Saturday night. And this is when I knew that it was even bigger than I ever thought. We got a call from the state troopers. The owner of the hotel says, listen, can we stall the show an extra two hours? There's traffic 50 miles down on, on the highway. That people going to miss the show? Those people had bought tickets also... I didn't have any barriers, you know, like at concerts. The tables are right there. These fans were jumping on the stage. These little girls were running and kissing these guys. And it was so loud. And then I had them in motorhomes. Well, the next day I had to call again bunches. So overnight, it, it just got so big. But I, you know, we went with the flow and got them buses, got them security. And the really like, people I really felt bad for with well, the Herbert Herbert and the graduates. So I had to tell them, listen, you guys, instead of each fan doing 40 minutes. You guys gonna do ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes. I need the monkeys to do an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah, because I got to tell you one more thing. This Please. is the biggest thing. I fought that guitar logo for thirty five hundred dollars. Every kid wanted a piece of the merchandise. The merchandise went through the roof. What's your recollection of the tour, the fans, the music, the band? Well, the happiest was to see everybody screaming, singing the song. The girls, the way they scream, it, it was so loud the screaming and to see fans running after you or the girls, just like the old days of the Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. The girls went crazy over these guys. And I never saw that in all my years. They were so happy. The monkeys were so funny. You know, when those three guys got together, they were funny. They started with an explosion. They got props. They were TV stars. Yes, they should go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because the music was amazing. Oh, and by the way, I added a horn section to the band. They didn't even have musicians. I am the one who created the musicians. I put an ad up in in, in uh, school of
1: music, looking for four horn players. Amazing, David. What a moment of pride for you as a-
0: member. And what a turnaround. And then here I was idolizing Madonna. I was idolizing the talking heads. And all of a sudden they were looking at me like, look at this guy. <laughs> it must've led to uh, some other great things. Maybe someone named Ringo Starr, right? Yeah, I went to Ringo and it led to my Dirty Dancing tour. It led to everything because, you know, who's this guy? He's a sports agent. Let's talk about Mike Nesmith, who passed away recently. It's very
1: sad. It brought back a lot of memories for the Monkees, and they just did that final show that he was at. But you also did get Mike to join you for a night. Can you
0: talk about that night? You know, Mike, you know, his office contacted me. He wanted to play at the Greek Theater on a Saturday night. He showed up that final night, and it was interesting, you know, because while he wanted to be there— you know, Davy and him had a little relationship that there was a problem there. And I remember Davy saying, you know, why didn't he come to, you know, Omaha, Nebraska and perform with us? How come in L.A. with all his fancy friends? And it was great. You know, and he did, we did listen to the band, that great song that he wrote. Very sad that he passed away. It's sad that Peter passed away. It's sad Davy passed away. You know, the number one question on every interview is, hey, talk to me about the monkey. And I still think that they just bring happiness to people's eyes and, and to their lives, and they deserve to go on that Rocker Hall of Fame. And I know I said that over and over again. Absolutely. Try to put into words what
1: the monkeys meant to your life, your career, the impact of this
0: band on you. It changed my whole life. I mean, representing professional athletes like Luke Canella, Phil Sims. They took me to the highest stratosphere of being with athletes winning the Super Bowl. I reached the, the top in my business as a sports agent. But in the music world, to, to represent an act that sells the stadiums, arenas, here I was 30 years old that I was able to climb the mountain and had that experience at such a young age. And I never had that. I don't think I ever will now. It was probably the biggest tour that I ever worked around.
1: If 30-year-old David Fishoff could have talked to 10-year-old David Fishoff and told them, I'm putting together a Monkees reunion tour, what would have <laughs> that been like? I wouldn't have believed
0: it. it. It was incredible, the impact that it had on the entire United States. And by the way, the Monkees reunion tour in 86 brought so many other bands back when they finally said, hey, if the Monkees can do it, so can we. They had such an, a major effect on so many bands and so much of the music industry because no one ever thought you could come back 20 years later and have and more success live 20 years later than when the show originally came out. David, this has been
1: such a pleasure, such an ex- such a memorable story. I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this incredible moment with your favorite band. So thanks so much.
0: Aliyah, thank you. You know what? And it brought up a lot of emotions with me. I love that You should have lots of success with this concept, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I appreciate Very it. Very
1: I just love this story, Olivia, because David Fischoff really wasn't a music guy per se, but he did love the Monkees as a kid. And he thought, I want to get into the music business. I'm going to put together the band that sparked my interest in music. And here he is 20 years later, putting the Monkees back on tour. Pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing that he was even able to get into the music industry at all, because it's not an easy industry to just get into. But the fact that he was able to do it through his favorite childhood band is something really special.
1: Well, and I think we don't realize at the time, putting together package tours like what they do now where they put four or five artists, it wasn't that prevalent. So to put together the monkeys on this tour with these other bands was a big deal. And I love how he was not expecting much. I mean, he was worried about it. He was worried he was going to lose money. Not only did he not lose money, he made a ton of money on the merchandising and he was all of a sudden selling out arenas and the monkeys were hot again. He had turned that band who he fell in love with into a a hot act again, which now we see a lot of bands coming back and touring again and creating a whole second wave of popularity. But back then, it really wasn't. People sort of, once they were out of the public eye, they sort of faded away.
2: Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Like These days, if you're a fan of a band, you can follow them on social media, on the internet, and watch videos of them and kind of keep them alive that way. But back then, before all of this, if your band wasn't together anymore, wasn't touring, wasn't making music, there's not really much you can do to follow up with them other than just continuing to listen to their music. So this must have been something extremely special for the fans.
1: Yeah, and I think what makes this story so poignant right now is that, unfortunately, a lot of the monkeys are dying. And just around the time we did this interview, Mike Nesmith, the guitar player and probably the most talented songwriter, passed away. And so I think there is a sadness to this. There's only now one monkey left, Mickey Dolan's. So it also has a sadness to the story for me in that it was a triumphant moment. But as we get older, our rock star idols start to get older and many of them start to pass away.
2: Yeah, it really is so sad. Luckily, at this point in my life, I haven't had any of my favorites pass away, but it's just a matter of time. I've been really lucky to see a lot of older bands live, like Fleetwood Mac and U2, Paul McCartney, of course. So I feel really lucky for that. But it's only a matter of time, you know, and it's really sad.
1: I think what the cliche is, but it's so true is their music lives on. It passes on from generation to generation. And I really do like the monkeys. Like if you go back and listen to their songs, they're a little dated, but they really hold up. They had some good songwriters. And I think that this is why I wanted to include this story because it's not some TV band. You know, as David said, he thinks they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I don't know if you know this but very recently, the monkeys did do their final concert in L.A., and given that so many of the members are no longer with us, it was incredibly special for the fans that got to see the remaining monkeys.
2: With only one Monkey left, it's so great that they got to do this for the fans and for themselves before the majority of them died. And I can't imagine what it's like to be that one remaining Monkey. Poor guy. He must be sad.
1: What I love about this is that David wasn't a musician. He wasn't in the music business. He decided to give it a try and he surpassed his wildest dreams, and he went on the road with the band who inspired him. Now he runs this incredible rock and roll fantasy camp, giving other people the chance to live their rock and roll dreams. So it does come full circle. And if you want to do something really fun, or you have a friend or a family member who loves music, go do the rock and roll fantasy camp. It's a blast.
2: Yeah, I remember you did it a couple times and you got to sing with the lead singer of The Who and do Sergeant Pepper's with the lead singer of Cheap Trick. I was just like, what is this? That's the coolest thing ever.
1: If you're a musician or even if you're not, I highly recommend trying Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. It's one of the most fun couple days of music immersion you'll ever have. But Livia, who would be today's equivalent of the Monkees? Would there be one?
2: The first thing that comes to mind is Big Time Rush because they're a boy band of four and they were my generation. But I don't know if anyone would be pushing for a Big Time Rush revival.
1: (laughs) Or like Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana. You know, it's sort of that kind of music made for TV, but they actually are good artists.
2: Yeah, Miley is a great example. Not a band, but similar thing because Disney Channel is what got her really popular. And from there, she had this platform to really become her own artist. What she does now is the polar opposite of what she was doing on Disney Channel.
1: That's right. Exactly.
2: Okay. So before we go, we have David's top five songs from the monkeys. Number one, last train to Clarksville. Number two, I'm a believer. Number three, Hey, Hey, we're the monkeys Four, daydream believer. And number five, listen to the band.
1: So, Olivia, sadly, we've come to the end of our final episode, but that's not the end of Sonic Impact. We plan on coming back with more episodes, and so we hope when that time comes, you'll come back and join us, too. So tell your friends, share, review all the things we do with podcasts, and let's keep this going. But I just want to say a special thanks to all the artists that we talked about on our show Obviously, our guests we couldn't do this without, but to talk about people like Dolly Parton and You Too and Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney, I mean, that is the inspiration for this show. I grew up a huge music fan, obsessing over so many artists, following them before there was the internet, going to concerts, buying their music, and these artists have inspired us since we were kids, continue to inspire us today, and I hope in future seasons, we'll take the next generation of artists, Olivia, and your generation that will tell us their stories.
2: Yes, I will, and I'm not gonna let you down on that one. I have a bunch of friends who are major, major music fans like us, so I don't think we'll have any problems there.
1: So, Olivia, not only are you an amazing daughter, you've been incredible through this whole season, so I thank you, and I love you.
2: Well, I just want to say one final thank you to you, Dad, for all of your hard work on this podcast. You're such an amazing co-host. And I know you spent many, many, many hours working on this. And it wasn't easy, but it's worth it. And it's just been such a joy. And we all love you.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. And I, I appreciate it. Only because people have listened has that made it all worthwhile. So thank you to the audience. And we're thrilled you guys came along for the ride. All right. So that does it for this season of Sonic Impact. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Bye, everyone. Bye, Dad.
1: Sonic Impact is a production of Sonic Impact Media. The podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by Elliot and Olivia Goldberg. The show is mixed and mastered by Justin Longerbeam. Music provided by Fundamental Music. Artwork designed by Keanu Narcico and Dan Hodgen.
0: cast.